Welcome to Politically Speaking. This is Hollywood Magazine's new podcast, and it's coming to you from lockdown. They say a week is a long time in politics, but bear with us while myself and one of my journalists, Liam Kirkcaldy, try and condense the serious stuff and keep the nonsense in too. No, indeed. I, you know, I, I regard it as one of my final achievements in the, the journalistic sphere to have been fired by you. I've been fired by the Herald. Um, I'm presently writing, of course, for another Sunday newspaper on a, on a weekly basis, but you know, I, I don't do so with any expectation I should be there forever. Sorry, are you saying I was confused, Liam? I, I think you were the voice of the people, Mandy. Um, <laughs> what you, you... <laughs> no, I know, yeah. I, I thought people were also quite worried about what it's going to mean for their dating life because they're going to have to arrange to meet people in garden centres. Could be angrier than normal because it's um, my ongoing dispute um, with everybody, really. Uh, you know, we've just done the second uh, emergency bill. We're about to start on the reporting process because it's really important that the Parliament and Scotland can scrutinise. Welcome to Politically Speaking, Scotland's flagship political podcast brought to you from the editorial team of the award-winning Hollywood magazine. Whether you're more interested in what politicians do to relax than what they actually do in the Parliament, this is the podcast where you'll get the full skinny on politics, policy and pure nonsense. Join me, Mandy Rhodes, editor of Holyrood, along with Liam Crocodi, one of my award-winning writers, along with the odd politician, as we chew the political fat and spit it out onto the page of the forthcoming issue of Holyrood magazine. Okay, so first up we have Good Week, Bad Week. That's our regular part of the show where we chart the changing fortunes of political players in Scotland and beyond. Mandy, I've got a few ideas this time. Um, Hmm. Actually, my first thought... That's novel. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a large bag of ideas here. Uh, <laughs> sure. Well, actually, the first one's a surprise one. It's a good week for Mandy Rhodes, who was oh. nominated for columnist of the year, I believe. Oh, I'm blushing, Liam. Yeah, a surprise one for you there. <laughs> can I thought I just... you, you do a speech or something. So. <laughs> I may be blushing, but can I just say that was UK columnist of the year? Yeah, great news. Um, so congratulations. That's really all I've got to say on that, to be honest. I just thought it was worth mentioning. I was quite like this period, Liam, where you're nominated, mm-hmm. but there's a bit of a gap before the actual ceremony when you might lose. Yeah, I actually, I had an award recently where they got in touch to say, you haven't won, but you are going to be shortlisted. And I thought, that's actually oh. quite nice, because I don't have to spend the entire time between now and then worrying. Well, also with this one, I think it's a virtual, well, it is a virtual ceremony. So mm. you don't have the expense of going to London, buying a frock. Yeah. And, you know, having to buy, buy drink and things. So you're not going to attend via Zoom and just dressed from the waist up? Oh, I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> or from the waist down. <laughs> that would make it more interesting. <laughs> All right, well, stay tuned for the ceremony anyway. <laughs> That actually might be a really bad week for everybody That's else. That's true. I'll, I'll take a holiday then, I think. Yeah, good, good. Uh, right, well, our next good week, that was really just a fake good week, to be honest. Um, but this, All right. This is, this is the real good week, which is obviously that we seem to have some light in, um, some kind of light at the end of the tunnel for lockdown in Scotland. Um, Nicola Sturgeon suggested that probably from Thursday, we think, um, some of the restrictions are going to be lifted. Yeah. That's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, sorry. Okay. I was going to say it's interesting because I think... Um, the day before she announced um, the phasing of uh, lifting of restrictions, it had been one of the hottest days in Scotland for some time. And of course, there were scenes at Portobello Beach where people were certainly not socially distancing. <laughs> so some people had already voted with their, their feet, really. No, I know. You saw that even in the, in the announcement today. She was trying to stress uh, quite heavily that although these measures will be lifted, they haven't actually currently been. 
Um, and I think probably some people actually were a bit confused about some of the announcements anyway, because I saw that you, you had some trouble with um, when, when exactly you're going to be able to actually go and visit family. Is that right? Sorry, are you saying I was confused, Liam? I, I think you were the voice of the people, Mandy. Um, what you, <laughs> you, you recognize the general sense of confusion and you're like a lightning rod for it. Well, of course, I understand that not all government legislation is about me, but um, in, with this particular one, I think um, I've been charting the fact that obviously, like many other people, I've not been able to see my elderly mum, who is housebound, um, lives in Blairgowrie, so uh, quite a distance from Edinburgh. And it did look as if from the announcement, the government announcement yesterday and the various phases that I wouldn't be able to visit her until phase three. But in fact, I think Nicola Sturgeon, obviously listening to my concerns, then clarified today that you will be able to go and visit relatives if you stay outside in the garden uh, and speak to them from some kind of position that's obviously at least two metres apart. Yeah. I guess the problem for me is that's quite a long round trip and um, bladders tend to run in our family. <laughs> Yeah. It means I can't use the loo. No, I know, yeah. I thought people are also quite worried about what it's going to mean for their dating life because they're going to have to arrange to meet people in garden centres um, if they want to get around the lockdown. Yeah, then there's all other kinds of implications for the police, I think, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I actually I saw the police going through the park yesterday um, speaking to people to groups of more than, I think, more than three, basically. And they they did look pretty sheepish. They had, they had, they were obviously far too warm and they'd have to start taking off their hats and stuff. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, well, actually, that does, I mean, that in a way does bring us to, um, to my idea for Bad Week, which, uh, I mean, I don't want to keep hammering on about this, but it's another week of government communication. And this time it seems to be a bad week for the concept of distance. I don't know if you've mm. followed this at all, but the UK government has come out today, obviously. At the start of this process, we were told uh, two metres, stay two metres away from people. Um, at the time, I did, if I'm honest, I did wonder if it'd be worth putting it out in feet as well, because obviously there'll be a lot of people in the UK who probably prefer measuring things with feet to metres, and I understand that to be the main cause of Brexit. Um, oh, although there were certain warnings as well, I think, because weren't people trying to pay for goods using their feet rather than their hands? <laughs> I saw though, was, was it Ian Rankin had people in his building that were trying to press a yeah. button with their toes? That's absolutely right, in a, yeah. In a Quite... building full of hinges. Yeah. Very agile. Yeah. I mean, if you can start operating things with your toes, I would just scale the side of the building, frankly. But I think the thing you're talking about is this where the government's put out the advice about the the use practically the use objects yeah. so that you can get some understanding of scale. So, and I think you've got to stand three fridges apart. That's right. Yeah. So just I mean, for for the record, two meters is about uh, six foot seven. Um, so I suppose that is a slightly unorthodox one, but basically a very very tall person. Um, however, yeah, as you say, the UK government has tried to get a bit more information on that. Um, because a lot of people probably are quite confused by the concept of either a foot or a meter, apparently. So they've clarified it's one bed, two benches, three fridges, or four chairs. It doesn't specify the size of the chair. And I'm not sure exactly how helpful that is. Do you, do you feel that that's added to your understanding of distance, Mandy? It's made me wonder the size of Boris Johnson's bed and whether he's ever socially distanced in it. <laughs> That's probably not a vision we want, is it? I don't know why we're going after that at this point. So, sorry. <laughs> well, uh, the good news is anyway, I've, I've decided to help clarify things. I've got uh, some more. I've looked up some other things that are two metres long, um, just 
as part of my general attempt for you know to, to educate the public. So two meters is about, or six foot seven, I should say, is about the height of former England footballer Peter Crouch or uh, former basketballer Michael Jordan, if you remember him. Um, he's about two centimeters short of two meters. Could you tell me, Mandy, how many hedgehogs you think two meters is? About 27. 27 hedgehogs? No. It depends if they're standing on their back feet vertically or are still in a horizontal position. Oh, like, okay, I should have, you're right, I should have clarified this. I should have. You're as bad as the government, know, to be is, honest, Liam. This is the sort of mess Dominic Cummings gets in. Just being alert. It's given me a real insight. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the hedgehogs are like squeezed up against each other, but they're not. Uh, they're not doing any sort of pyramid or, you know, standing on top of each other's shoulders or anything. It's, it's actually 10 hedgehogs. Oh. Um, it's two greyhounds. Um, and I looked it up and actually apparently the Canadian government have put out some infographics. I don't know if these are real or not. They're probably not. But uh, four ravens. And they do specify that ravens vary in size. So if you're unsure, add an extra raven. Right. And they're all, they also fly around a lot. Well, yeah, I'm presuming they're I- dead ravens. I think it's, um, I did a calculation of my own, Liam, which will impress you. I think it's about three of James Brokenshire's four ovens. <laughs> You'd have to get your hands off him first. <laughs> He's very possessive of his ovens. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's it, really. It's a fifth of a, uh, the average minky whale, and it's one and one quarters Nicola Sturgeons, I believe, if my maths is right, yeah. based on her height, and that's without heels, I should say. Well, actually, that brings us to the point, I suppose, which is another part of the the good week, really, about hair, because she also mentioned that in the chamber. Mm. I think the, there were some some mirth, really, about the idea that people want to get to the hairdresser. And I did feel this week that my hair is certainly the same colour as Richard Leonard's. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you have to try and find a new type of paint and you have to hold it up against things. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> My think, Richard Leonard shade. eyeing up Richard Leonard's hair. <laughs> yeah. He has got good hair, in fairness to the man, actually. Yeah. I understand that a number of the MSPs were all waiting to see how Ruth Maguire would turn up, uh, whether she'd be well coffered, because her sister's a hairdresser. But in fact, she fooled them all and had her hair completely slicked back. That's interesting. There's, there's actually, I know this feels fickle, doesn't it? Well, there's actually a, there's a serious point to this. Um, or I'm going to attempt to find yes, one. Sir. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's actually a conspiracy about this. Uh, you, you won't be surprised to, to learn, I suppose. Um, there's a kind of I think it's a global thing. Actually, there's a belief that coronavirus is um, you know it's a kind of illusion, a, a conspiracy, a construct, um, and that basically there's whoever whoever leading this conspiracy, the, the lizards um, in charge aren't actually adhering to any of the guidance themselves. And the proof for this is that political leaders all have great hair at the moment. So I saw someone basically questioning how Nicola Sturgeon could have good hair unless her barber's got three meter long scissors. It's impossible. It's not a great conspiracy theory as they go, I'd argue, but there you go. Well, I think you'd have to throw in Trump yet again then. And he hasn't got great hair. But I like the fact that he said he tested very positively negatively. So towards negativity but couldn't bring him to set himself to say that he'd tested negative. What was that, an attempt at political spin? He's trying to put a positive on it. Positive spin on negativity. Yeah. Hmm. So, Liam, this is the bit where obviously we are a fortnightly magazine. So this is the week that we're not reviewing what we've done in the magazine, but we're talking more generally about what's happened in both the Scottish Parliament and a little bit of whatever's happened in Westminster. Although, given that we've got a Tory MP, Henry Smith, 
accusing SNP MPs of all being work shy and lazy because they don't want to travel to London to carry out parliamentary business, but would rather do it obviously from a virtual position, given the restrictions that are in place. I think there's some controversy about what's going on in both. Yeah, so this is after the vote to uh, basically move away from a virtual parliament um, in, the, in the Commons. Apparently on the, on the basis it was just too much for everyone. Yeah, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I, it, the Scottish Parliament, obviously before we had um, the pandemic, we had Gail Ross, the MSP, when she announced that she wouldn't be standing again next year. She she had called for the Scottish Parliament basically to become more modern, I suppose, and look at ways that we could vote remotely or have virtual committees, etc. And in a way, the things that Gail was asking for then have almost had to be implemented because of what we're doing around the pandemic. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a really odd situation when you think about it, because first of all, there isn't actually enough space in the Commons for all the MPs to arrive, even without social, you know, before you even start thinking about social distancing, just actually enough physical space for them all to sit in there. Um, yeah. Or lounge if you're re-smog. Re yeah, exactly. You won't be able to stretch out. Although, actually, re-smog is almost... Actually, how tall is he? Yeah. Oh, is he over two metres? That's just what I was going to... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we could use, actually, him as a measure, couldn't we? I did look him up, yeah. I think he's, I think he's about 1.8 metres. So if you just right. remember, you need about 20 centimetres beyond a re-smog. Or two hedgehogs. Yeah. <laughs> you need a re-smog and two hogs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What happened this week in Parliament, particularly at Holyrood? Well, yes, the, so the Scottish Parliament is continuing um, to be as virtual as it can be. Um, there has been some criticism of how it's worked. I've had a bit of trouble with some of the streams and things like that, but it is, you know, it's generally doing its best. And obviously the, the, the big bit of work that went through was the emergency coronavirus legislation. Um, there was a sort of few different aspects to that. I don't know where you want to go in on that, Monday. Do you have a, do you have a bit? Well, I think as well, I was going to say, the point is that a lot of the MSPs are physically going into the parliament and they are um, observing social distancing. So it is working in that respect. Mm -hmm. But there are, uh, there are committees taking place that are virtual. And I think really right now, it's really important that scrutiny can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think particularly with the emergency um, coronavirus legislation, there are things that everybody has to be involved in in working out whether or not they infringe any of our rights mm -hmm. and this certainly should not be an excuse for government not to be scrutinized yeah i suppose that's um, where the, the, the foi stuff comes in then isn't it the yeah absolutely and actually the government were um, defeated on that mm -hmm. they wanted a particular time scale adhered to a longer time scale in terms of fois being answered and um, they were defeated on that, and it was reduced to um, a shorter time. Yeah, it's part of a kind of wider, uh, a wider picture here, where the, the the Scottish government has been seen as quite shifty around FOI a lot of the time. You know, it's, it's come under quite a lot of criticism from campaigners who do think that, that you know, that for example, the intervention of SPADs or the perceived intervention of SPADs in some of these requests. Yeah, I think it, it was a difficult one for them, and I think it's um, it's important that the Parliament was heard. The other one that I think was important was that the Greens got. Um, amendments pushed through as well about um, companies registered in tax havens, mm -hmm. that they won't be provided with financial support during this crisis. And there has been, you know, there's been quite a lot of murmurings around um, people like Virgin, I suppose, and um, other airlines being able to furlough staff. Or, But, you know, I, I don't know where you 
create the distinction. If you have a rule about furlough, do you decide that a millionaire can't get the help? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, where, where do you make that cutoff? Well, yeah, and I suppose the, the entire problem with trying to deal with companies based in tax havens is it tends to be quite difficult to work out exactly where assets lie. Um, so if you're going to try and stop anyone taking advantage of these schemes, you still need to have information about where they actually exist. Yeah. I think, um, you know, at the other end of the scale, it was important in Parliament this week that there was uh, there were aman- amendments passed talking about carers' allowance being mm-hmm. um, increased. And, you know, obviously around the whole care home emerging scandal, if you like, around that um, spotlight has been shone on people that are doing jobs that are really vitally important and they're being paid so little. Do you think this... I think this crisis is actually going to lead to a change in how carers are treated because it's something that we talk about quite a lot, isn't it? People are, I mean, it's not a new story that carers have been treated appallingly in general, you know, underpaid yeah. and overworked. And, I, mean, I think there's, um, I hope that there's a wider uh, recognition of how we want to care for our elderly, mm-hmm. really. So it's not just about the carers themselves, it's about how we wish to provide care. And I think, again, you know, I, I suppose I've been a little bit surprised, as you say, this has gone on for, for decades, a little bit surprised when I hear people saying they hadn't realised that most of the care homes operated within the private sector. And there's, um, I can't think of other areas of care provision where we allow the private sector to do so much work. I'm not saying that they provide bad care, but in a country where we seem to want to be able to provide care where there's not a profit motive, it seems quite odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I suppose the other the other big bit that came up was there was quite a heavy clash between Kevin Stewart and the Greens, um, or Andy Whiteman specifically. <laughs> yeah, there was about um, definitions, I think, as well, about what a landlord yeah, is yeah, right. or how you define a landlord. Um, but I suppose it was just... A, Kevin Kevin got quite angry and a little bit pompous. And I think he was accused by Andy Whiteman and others of sounding a bit like um, the godfather. Yeah. I.e., you don't get things from me unless you speak to me in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should have come It was from... a bit heated. Yeah, so the, the, so the Greens tried to amend the legislation to freeze rents for two years to, and to ban evictions. Um, and obviously the vote against that came with... Uh, the SNP and the Tories coming together to block it. I mean, that's that is the the SNP do generally generally get quite upset when they get attacked from the Greens from that side, don't they? I mean, you, you see yeah. it on climate quite a lot as well. They, as a party, they do not like the idea that they're being condemned morally by another party, particularly by the Greens. And I suppose the Greens, for a while, have seen an opportunity there. Maybe since the, yeah. the twenty sixteen election or so, that there seems to be a kind of strategy that they're going to appeal to pro indie voters as a force for keeping the SNP honest, almost. If that makes sense, you know, like maybe if, if you're someone that supports the SNP, but you want them to go further on land reform or tax or something, then that's where they're really trying to target. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's interesting that both Kevin Stewart and Mike Russell, and we'll hear a bit more from him later on, because Mike Russell was getting quite a hard time from Neil Finlay um, around the care homes and negotiations on pay. I, they, both Kevin and Mike probably displayed a little bit of frustration with the way that some of these um, concerns were being raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they didn't feel that they were detailed enough. And I guess there's part of this that we've got to understand that the ministerial team will be working, um, you know, 
full speed ahead on all of this and maybe there's a bit of frustration goes on. But but the, the bottom line is it's important that these things end up in the chamber and that there's proper debate and there's proper scrutiny. Mm-hmm. It does. It feels like things are coming a bit more heated um, in that respect. Um, I actually I have a final uh, item in this, Mandy, for you. Um, it's yeah. a mystery. Not another mystery or a surprise. No, it's not. This one isn't a surprise. This is a mystery. Um, and okay. I'm, like, I know just, I'll, I'll give you a bit of background here. Um, I know you want this to be a politics podcast. I realised that. Um, I did. I read all the, all the background to it. But I did a bit of research after the first episode. Um, and I've actually noticed that true crime podcasts are very, very popular. So I was thinking we could try and introduce more of a sort of mystery element to it, more investigations mm. to try and draw in. Have you done it? Well, I've got a mystery for us. So I thought if we solve the mystery, then we'll be a really popular podcast. No? You're building it up well. Yeah, it's really good. Um, right. Right. So basically, um, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't watching this session, but basically I'd noticed that there seemed to be some disruption in the Scottish Parliament this week. Um, ah. We were in the middle of a committee session, and suddenly uh, there seemed to be some interruption. It seemed to be a fire alarm. So I'm just going to open this up for you. We were in the middle of the uh, COVID committee's scrutiny, um, at which point the convener had to announce, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to suspend because an announcement has been made about a fire. 12.35, the meeting was suspended, and at 12.40, it resumed. Now, that's the sort of thing you would normally hear more about. I thought, why didn't I hear about this fire? I actually live quite close to the Scottish Parliament, so if it had been a severe fire, I probably would have seen it. They then came back. Uh, the convener apologised for the interruption and suggested they go back to it. However, they then had to stop again um, because another fire alarm went off. This seemed to lead to some sort of widespread laughter, um, and the convener said that they hoped that it's going to be put out. Now... We didn't hear a lot more about this for a while, and I thought that was quite strange. So I decided to look into it a bit further, and it later turned out that there wasn't a fire. There was a fire alarm, which had been set off by a potato. Um, Further investigation said it wasn't actually just a baked potato. It was a very specific type of potato. And Amanda, I believe you have the key to the answer. I do. I know a man that can tell us all about that. So I have with me Cabinet Secretary for Government, Business and Constitutional Relations, Mike no, Russell. Last, Hi, that Mike. Was the last time, that was the last time oh, I was said, <laughs> don't worry, these things change. There'll be another one along in a minute. Brilliant, good start. <laughs> yes, there you go. Well, the, regardless, Mike. The of Scottish politics, I can say that. <laughs> Always, always. I guess regardless, I mean, you have one of the longest titles in Scottish Mm -hmm. government, um, but also in our usual Scottish tall poppy uh, approach to things. You're also a man that holds the honour of being dismissed by me as a columnist. No, indeed. I I, I regard it as one of my finer achievements in the journalistic sphere to have been fired by you. I've been fired by the Herald. Um, I'm presently writing, of course, for another Sunday newspaper on a on a weekly basis, but, you know, I, I don't do so with any expectation I shall be there forever. There'll always be a third time. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's actually an honour that you share with uh, George Galloway, because I also sacked him. Yes, well, with more reason, however. I, absolutely, and probably the only thing that you share with him. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> Getting on to more serious matters, I mean, you... You have the all-consuming areas, it seems, that you had Brexit and now you have COVID. Um, do you think someone's out there to get you? Well, I sometimes wonder about, you know, my political career has just got more difficult as time has gone on. To be fair about COVID, uh, it, you know, I, I don't have COVID. I mean, the, the, the fantastic work on that has been done by the First Minister and by Jean Freeman. 
um, I've taken on the responsibility of the legislative and regulatory side, which you know I suppose in a sense is a boring side, but it's about getting the, the statute book into a, a position where we don't have too many difficulties with the difficulties of, of lockdown, and also making sure that the regulatory side is right so that the lockdown regulations actually mean what they say and can be used. And uh, you know we've just done the second uh, emergency bill. We're about to start on the reporting process because it's really important that the Parliament and Scotland can scrutinise what we've done and use the powers that exceptional powers that have been granted in this legislation and then we're just about to get on with the reporting and then we're looking at the lockdown regulations how they will change and they will change now as we we can see the way forward then those regulations will need to change every every time we move from one phase to another so that's complex work and i've got great teams of people and and, and interestingly and something that's not really been noticed much in the civil service almost all civil servants who are working on other things are now focused on on covid related activity and you know, some of the team that's been working on the bill with me are people who I've worked with before on independence issues. Uh, people who are working on regulations have been working on on some of the referendum issues. Uh, so we've all essentially moved into a different space to meet the challenges of this emergency. And do you feel that that's important that you actually know how each other operates? I think it's always good to work with people that you trust and like and, and respect and feel they can do a good job. I have to say, the people who've been on the bill team for the two emergency bills have just been remarkable. It, it is an extraordinary achievement. Most people don't know much about how legislation is put together, but it actually takes about nine months from, from a, a parliamentary bill going into the parliament to be approved by the presiding officer and, and certified as being within competence to royal assent, uh, roughly nine months. You can do it in a bit less, uh, but uh, to have done two uh, in essentially less than eight weeks, uh, without any preliminary drafts, because the nine months is only the technical bit, you'll have had months and months before then of talking what the bill should have, uh, looking at issues, consulting upon it. Uh, to have done all of that in very complex areas within two months is actually incredible. Uh, and, and the real work, it's the iceberg, is, is uh, you know, the, the visible bit is what the parliamentarians do over a period of time. The invisible bit is the drafting and the preparing and the decision making on that. And just to do two in two months, I, I suspect has never been done before. It's certainly never been done before in Scotland. And I'm, I'm just delighted they've been so good at doing it. And do you find that the cross-party working is actually working better in an emergency? Well, uh, you know, the four, if you look at the UK as a whole, the four-country working, where it's not without its strains, has by and large worked and certainly been far better than what has happened with Brexit, chalk and cheese. It, also, cross-party work on emergency bills has been positive. I mean, there have been exceptions. Um, you know, there have been people who just have not been up to that and who simply cannot free themselves from their, you know, the way that they operate. But by and large, it's been good. If you look at the last bill, uh, right across parties, we've come to an agreement, negotiated agreements with the Green Party on key issues like the tax haven issue and issues on, uh, a, a, for example, I was trying to think of another one, oh, young carers. Uh, Monica Lennon and Labour uh, took forward a, a, an amendment on uh, a fund for carers, which we approved and which you worked with James Freeman on. I worked with Adam Tompkins on issues of marriage and, and um, civil partnership. We accepted something from Liam McCarthy on a taxation amendment. So that's been good. That's been good work. That doesn't apply to absolutely everything, but the spirit's been there by and large. I mean, there's one or two exceptions, but there are some people who will never change. Which people? Well, in this bill, quite clearly, and if you followed the bill, you'd have seen it. I had a spat, as ever, with Neil Finlay on the final day because, you know, it, it, he, he is an impossibilist. I mean, and in the classic sense of that, in, in what happens in, you know, in Marxist theory, 
you know, it, it, something is put forward without any possibility of it happening. It's obvious it can't happen. You know, I can give you instances in this bill, for example, trying to impose collective bargaining right across the care sector, uh, you know, in by means of a three-paragraph amendment. It's simply not possible to do. What you can do, however, is work with the government to find a way to make progress on that. And I'd really love to have done that. But there was no possibility because the amendment was put down without consultation. There was no discussion. They didn't want to discuss it. They never came to discuss it. Uh, then it was rejected quite rightly by the committee at stage two and then he just puts it down again. And of those people who do not support it, it's, it's not a question of negotiation. If you don't support it, you're a hypocrite, you're, a, you're an evil person, you do not wish to help carers. You just can't do business in that sense. And that's a pity because I think Neil Finley has things to offer on this. And I think we might have made some progress. But if you don't want to, you don't want to. Uh, and that seems to waste the opportunity. I mean, I think um, for MSPs, like everybody else, there's a heightened sense of emotion at the moment, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and perhaps Neil Finlay expressed some of that within the chamber. Yeah, well, you could take that charitable view. I don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, to, to be honest, I just don't take that view because that's how he had behaved yeah. previously. I mean, I, you know, Adam Tompkins and I are not soulmates. Uh, you know, we've had enormous rows. Uh, you know, some of it's been pretty strong language in the in the chamber. But you mm -hmm. know, faced with this, I mean, we haven't agreed with everything. We, you know, the government won on the issue of freedom of information in the first bill and lost in the second bill. And I recognise that mm -hmm. you know that was the fact. I, I disagree with it, but it's happened and it's over and done with. And you know, he was pretty vociferous about that. But there are things you can work on. And you know, I, I think the Marriage and Civil Partnership one was a good example. He brought this to the chamber. He was concerned about it. He wanted progress to be made. I tried to see what progress we could make, and we agreed that progress could be made. That what that was positive, and I think that's how it should work. Do you think, Mike, at a time like this, when I think even from the outside we're seeing a kinder approach by people, are you seeing a kinder politics in the chamber? No, not yet. I mean, I think I think we saw a more unified politics eight to ten weeks ago. I think it's fragmented a bit. I regret that. I hope we could bring it back because it's not over. The challenge we have is not over. And, and I think recognizing the tremendous work that's being done, um, accepting there should be absolute scrutiny, firm scrutiny, extensive scrutiny. We're not questioning the motivation of people who are trying to do their very best. I hope we could have a kinder politics. And I have to say, I think we're also, I, I agree with the point Patrick Harvey made in, in, in the parliament this week. I think we're going to see a different politics. I notice in my own constituency, which of course is, you know, in Argyll and Butte is a very rural um, and very localised constituency, uh, two things I think are going to be very important. One is a renewed emphasis on localism. People want to be empowered and connected with that, a view that they're not going to be just told what to do. This is this is the difference between push and pull democracy. Uh, we, we, we really just had push democracy by and large where you know, parties lay out their stalls. This is this is what's available, and you you know like, and you go and buy it. Yeah, you go and vote for it. I think we're going to see a lot more localism, which is full democracy of saying we want things to happen. You know, and we're going to say what was ha would happen. And you as politicians, you have to accept that, and you have to react to that, and you have to take that forward. And I think that will also, and I see it in people's reactions to big business, to the economy. They want a kinder and better world and the opportunity is to get one. And that means making decisions more locally. I think we're going to, going to see changes in here. And I think those are positive changes because I think they invigorate democracy and inv they will invigorate Scotland.
In a less <coughs> kind fashion, the Tory MP Henry Smith this week said about SNP MPs in particular, who perhaps did not want to travel down to London to, and wanted more virtual parliaments carrying on, that they were work shy and lazy. How did you react to that? I think I, I think I called him stupid. Um, I can't remember precisely. Where I, That's kind. Yeah, well, you know, there are always people who just eventually think you can't. You, you can't reckon. You can't legislate for this because it's just so wrong. I mean, you know, all the advice is about saving lives. And it, 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 we require to have social distancing, which I think is going to become much more of a norm. I think we're going to, you know, in a hundred year time, people are going to look at some of the pictures and, and the movies and, and, and other stuff and say, gosh, did people really get that close to each other? You know, we, we, social distancing at the yeah. moment anyway is absolutely essential. Uh, you know, the Westminster is a, it's an archaic institution that operates in archaic ways. This is a chance for it to reform and to reform in a way that protects its members. The call people are arguing for that workshop is it's just wrong. I, I, I have to say, there are people I just cannot get my mind into where they are. And very often it is backwoodsman Tory MPs, except this one isn't because this one is a vegan. And I notice his hobby is vexillology, which for a Tory MP must be a bit strange because it's a study of flags. I thought it was nationalists that were obsessed by flags. Apparently oh. a flag studier. So I just don't know what motivated him, but it was a silly thing to say. Now, you could also, you could be kind of say, we all say silly things. You know, Twitter encourages people to say silly things. Uh, maybe we just uh, forget that and move on. Just on um, Brexit, because that obviously oh, has right. taken a back seat. It, are we going to leave the EU? Well, we have left the EU. I mean, we left the mm -hmm. EU, um, you know, a, 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 the official leaving date has passed, alas, 30, 31st of January. I think the issue now is it, it, there needs to be an extension. There, there has to be an extension. It is ludicrous. I, I notice the Financial Times is commenting on this at the moment. It is ludicrous and damaging and dangerous to think there shouldn't be, but I don't think the UK will go for one. One is available uh, in, in June um, because the withdrawal agreement gives the option of, a, of an extension of up to two years. The EU want an extension. They're, they're not pushing it, but they want an extension because your bandwidth has been crowded out by COVID. The economic damage that, COVID, that Brexit is going to do, you know, added to the economic damage we know it's going to happen with COVID. I mean, it, it is apparently the worst, likely to be the worst recession since the Frost Fair of 1709. That's not David Frost, but you know, the actual ice. It, it is just impossible yeah. to imagine that you would add that. Um, and actually, there's a, there's a big COVID-related issue in here. If you're looking for ways of trying to limit economic damage and, and ensure that the R number does not rise, Here's a really, really obvious one. Because you could do this, it would limit the economic damage and it wouldn't touch the R number. But there is a, an obsession in delivering this. I took part in a joint ministerial committee this week over and above the bill we had the first time in January, we had a, a JMC, um, a, a, a virtual one, but we, we held one. And you know, the argument came clearly from us, the argument came clearly from Wales. There is no unified position in Northern Ireland, but the, you know, the, the DUP are not saying they want an extension. They're not saying they don't either, but they're, they're, they're nervous about it. But Sinn Féin, you know, the Deputy First Minister, has made it clear that she thinks there should be an extension. But the UK government standing firm. It was as if, almost as if it doesn't matter what you say, we're just going to do this. I really think that that is utter stupidity. And actually, um, this morning I heard the former president of the European Commission saying that he just thinks that a no deal is likely. Yes, no, I, I, think, I, think he's, I think he's right. Uh, I think it is difficult to see how you can get a deal of any real um, significance uh, at this time. And even if you did, 
um, you know, I'm not sure it could operate effectively. So we've really got a set of circumstances where a no deal is more likely. I, I, a number of people are wondering whether what will happen is we'll get to September and October and then we'll, this, the talks will be in crisis and then there will, you know, the choice will be either extends or there is a no deal. If you can imagine, what the UK government is actually asking for isn't a kick and a shove off a no deal. It's a very unambitious free trade uh, agreement. They keep saying how ambitious it is. It's actually very unambitious. You could have a much more ambitious free trade agreement. So there's going to be big economic damage, uh, but it would be even bigger with a no deal. And then add that to the COVID damage and the Chancellor admitting this week that uh, he doesn't think it is a V-shaped recession. It's going to take longer. I, it's almost impossible to imagine these circumstances why you wouldn't grasp an extension with both hands, let alone say, hang on a minute, 2016 was another time. We need to look at this again. Right. Now call me fickle, Mike. <laughs> but as I was watching no. Parliament <laughs> as I was watching Parliament this week from afar, I can't help but notice everybody's changing a little bit. I noticed that uh, I'm now sporting the same hair colour as uh, Richard Leonard. I noticed you've lost some weight and I couldn't help but ponder whether the First Minister was wearing false eyelashes. Um, how, are you all treating yourselves differently in lockdown? <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, I, I suppose people in lockdown do think about how they look, where they are, what's going to happen next. Um, I could not possibly comment on the First Minister. I have not seen you, so I know nothing about your hair colour. We're, we're both still in lockdown. As for me, yes, I mean, I, I, it, it's not a sudden thing. I, I thought at the beginning of the year I should you know, lose a little bit of weight, which is never a bad idea. But I sort of came to the conclusion in the first fortnight of lockdown that I could either do that or I could go in the opposite direction. Because when you're at home, you know, the temptation is to snack a bit. It's, I don't normally lunch um, at, you know, in any city, but you know, you'd go in having some lunch. So um, I decided to do so. I'm not lost an enormous amount, but I, I think I'm, I'm probably about um, half a stone lighter than I was at the start of lockdown. And I want to see if I can go a bit further. Um, and I, I see nothing wrong in that. I think people are you were looking at themselves and saying, you oh, here's an opportunity, just as an opportunity to do some other things. You know, people are writing, people are thinking, and people are, are, are doing all sorts of things. They're reading books, um, and that's no bad thing. I think that we should choose what we try to do in these circumstances because it's good for us. And um, are baked potatoes playing any role uh, in that? Well, you know, I'm not a fan of baked potatoes and I have another reason for not being a fan of them this week. People who were watching the second stage of the COVID bill um, suddenly had it interrupted by a fire alarm, which appeared to go off somewhere. And you can't tell you know, on that type of call exactly where the fire alarm is. It's coming across somebody's microphone. Um, and I was conscious of the fact it was in my room um, and in the parliament, people won't know there's a system whereby Somebody says there's, you know, on the Tannoy system, there's a fire in the building and tells you what to do. And as we're saying, it's a fire in the building, you should go to the garden lobby. So I just got up to go to the garden lobby. And as I came out of my office, I thought, very strong smell of smoke. There must be a fire, because sometimes you get alarms. Then I looked into the general office next to my office where my private office is and my private secretary was there. And it was, it was full of smoke. And I could see some security staff there. So to cut a long story short, I discovered that Kirsty, my excellent, and I have to say, fantastic private secretary had put a sweet potato in the microwave which had exploded um, <laughs> to which fire alarm had gone off so we got it all sorted out and we were told we didn't have to evacuate we sat down again uh, uh, Gordon Lindhurst was about to say something which I was quite keen to hear because it was to do with whether he was going to pursue an amendment or not and just as he was about to speak for the second time 
the, the voice in the tannoy said that the fire alarm was over, so he had to stop again. So the legislation was interrupted by an exploding sweet potato, and I have to say it was, uh, I suppose I held the responsibility, though I didn't do it. So I had to admit to that in the chamber on, on Wednesday afternoon at the end of the bill. Uh, so potato is part of parliamentary history now. Is a sweet potato better than any other kind of potato, do you think? I, I make no judgment on potatoes, I have to say. I'm not a huge potato fan. I don't mind sweet potatoes. But I'm not a baked potato fan. And as I say, now I've got another reason for not being a baked potato fan. So you, I can't encourage you to do a round of Matt Lucas's baked potato song. Hello. Baked potato changed my life. Baked potato showed me the way. If you want to know what is wrong from right, you must listen to what potatoes say. You are absolutely right. You cannot. I mean, not only do you not know it, but I'm not going to sing on one of your podcasts. I would require a <laughs> of rehearsal and a lot of thought about that. But if you wish to do so, please feel free. Oh, no. <laughs> Mike, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Wash your hands and stay indoors. Thank you, baked potato. Only visit grocery stores. Thank you, baked potato. And if you want to have a better day, must listen to what the baked potatoes say. Keep your distance, make some space. Thank you, baked potato. So, Liam, I know we do this all the time, but going into the pub and the man's there standing at the bar and he says, well, what do you do for a living? And we make the mistake of saying that we work in politics. And he goes, oh, I'm not interested in politics. And then rants at you for 60 seconds, if not longer, about politics. Mm-hmm. So... This is my chance to get back on that and have just a 60-second rant. Mm -hmm. So this week (laughs) could be angrier than normal (laughs) because it's um, my ongoing dispute um, with everybody, really, about HRT shortages. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, I know we've discussed at length my hormone levels in the office. (laughs) We've talked about your menopause extensively, yes. Till I'm red in the face. <laughs> but that's actually just the hormones. But the bottom line is this. For I think I've now been writing for about 18 months about the fact that HRT uh, of all kinds and all brands, um, there's lots of shortages of them. And it means that many women who have turned to HRT, and they will have thought about it like I did very, very hard about and weighed up the pros and cons of taking HRT, can no longer get access to HRT. That means a lot of angry women right now, and that's not a good thing for anybody. And I'm in the position of having had nobody in government, in health, or anywhere else be able to explain why these shortages are happening. And I suppose the problem at the moment is you feel that it's almost... um, impolite, if you like, to be asking about something like HRT when there are people dying of a virus. But frankly, this will have an effect on women's physical and mental well-being, and it's a really, really bad thing, and politicians should be sh- sorting it out. So what's, uh, what's causing the shortage, do you know? 
Well, that's what I mean, Liam. Nobody. Uh, so when this all started, people said it was to do with supply. Oh, people blamed uh, the EU, obviously. <laughs> um, they said that there were uh, production problems, then there were supply problems, then there were issues about the, the glue that um, is used to stick a patch on your bottom. And it just um, nobody has been able to answer why. But it, it's it's wrong. And I think to tell women who are always at the bottom of the queue when it comes to health um, inequalities, that uh, they should think about other solutions to their issues around the menopause it just isn't good enough. That's quite a hard hitting one for you this week, Mandy. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Do you want me to talk about vaping? Because no, I'm really annoyed about that. It's more just I don't have a lot to contribute to it, to be honest. <laughs> Do you know, I think uh, the men in my life may feel that they have uh, skin in this game. <laughs> oh, right, I see you're the ones that have written this section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what have you got about vaping? Is this your latest? I, uh, I remember you, you had to yeah. ban vaping in the office at one point. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I, do you know, it's good, I guess, that people are moving from smoking to vaping, but... In a, and I've always found it really distressing standing behind somebody in the street when they let out that huge plume of vapour and I worry what's in it. But right now, when we're worried about anything that's been transmitted from anybody's mouth or nose, I really feel that it could lead to... Well, I think it could lead to civil disobedience, Liam. I mean, I'm a perfectly rational person and I don't like it. <laughs> Are you going to start snatching them out of people's mouths? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just start smoking cigars? I actually think um, that would suit you. I might suit a pipe, actually, Liam. Would you go for a pipe? Yeah, it depends what's in it, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> So what's your plan here, Mandy? What, are you, what, what can you do? Well, as ever, Liam, I think politicians should do something about that. So they say a week is a long time in politics, and you've just heard a fraction of that condensed into today's Politically Speaking podcast. I hope we've enlightened and entertained, and the next time you hear someone say they're not interested in politics, remember you know a podcast that can help them with that. If you enjoyed this episode of Politically Speaking from Hollywood Magazine and the chat between Liam and I, remember to subscribe and leave a review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also remember to check out our fortnightly release of Hollywood Magazine available in print or online at hollywood.com. Bye for now.